You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Welcome to Noble Blood, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Listener discretion advised. There's a book by the 19th century Czech writer Alois Hirasek that any listeners who happen to grow up in a Czech school system might remember. Old Czech Legends is a collection of stories from a rich cultural history, some dating back to the days of Bohemia, one of the earliest incarnations of a Czech state. One of the tales in the book details how the Czech people first found their way to their homeland, while other stories talk of brutal wars or feats of bravery. There is one legend that stands out from the rest, though, about a princess, about magic, prophecy, and eventually an uprising by women against men. While there is no historical evidence to prove that any of these legends are anything more than just that, legends, the story of Lebouche, the prophetic pagan princess, who founded Prague, strongly persists in the Czech cultural imagination. I'm Dana Schwartz, and this is Noble Blood. Like any legend, Lebouches differs based on who's telling it and when they're doing so. Hirasek's version of events is the most popular, so it's the one that we'll default to. He was writing during the Czech National Revival in the 19th century, a cultural movement dedicated to the Czech language and national identity during a time of Germanization spearheaded by the Habsburgs. The Kingdom of Bohemia, known today as the Czech Republic, was at the time under the rule of the Austrian Empire. The Czech language had been essentially erased from the school system, so a number of works by Hirasek and his contemporaries were aimed specifically at students. In collecting and retelling Czech legends, first recorded by the 11th century historian Cosmas of Prague, he was seeking to instill national pride back into the next generation. So the legend goes like this. A tribe of Slavic people travel west in search of plentiful land. They're led by forefather Czech, who they will later be named after. Atop a mountain, forefather Czech sees their land in the distance, uninhabited and lush, with rivers full of fish and fertile soil. During his lifetime, the people and land prosper, living and working together in harmony. After he passes, his son Krok assumes tribal leadership in accordance with an assembly of elders. Krok was also considered a wise leader. During his time, he founded a school to teach religion, hymns, prophecy, and magic. 
Magic was considered the highest form of learning, honoring the gods. Croc would often go into seclusion to ask for the guidance of the gods, and prominent men of the tribe built him a castle, Vishra, to do so. Tales of the structure whose name means High Castle remain today. Cosmos, the 11th century writer, dates Vishrad's construction to 683 CE, but modern historians have concluded that, in fact, the actual building would have been built closer to the 10th century. The disparity in the timeline calls into question the legitimacy of the story. It doesn't completely rule out Croc's existence, but it certainly demonstrates a clear divide in what anthropologists think of Bohemia's origins and what legend tells us. For reference, from this point on, these events are said to have taken place sometime in the 8th century. Croc had no male heirs, but he did have three beautiful daughters, each with unique gifts. Kazi, the eldest, healed the sick with her vast knowledge of herbs and use of magic incantations. Teta, the middle, was a pagan priestess who guided the people in sacrifices and prayers. And Labouche, the youngest and wisest, as noted also the most beautiful, possessed the gift of foresight. Emphasis on the three sisters' beauty, with the added emphasis on Labouche's particular beauty, is a pattern we've seen repeated throughout stories of powerful women across cultural histories, and one that we've discussed before on this show. Why are most of our historical heroines described as striking beauties? Whether it serves to soften these women with incredible power, reconcile their femininity with masculine constructs of power, or further canonize them in the mythological sphere, it's a trope that pop culture still hasn't quite escaped from. On a simple level, it might just be that society as a whole tends to only value women if they're also considered attractive. But onward. Labusha's great power came in the form of prophecy. It said she was prone to fall into a trance and make predictions, which garnered some fear among the people. Due to her power and wisdom, the Assembly of Elders appointed Labusha, even though she was the youngest, as the next ruler and initially there was no dispute from the people. As tribe leader, Labusha's role was similar to that of a judge, and most of her work as ruler revolved around resolving disputes of all manners. After all, she was chosen for her wisdom and was known for her fair judgments, aided by her prophecies. One day, she was presented with a bitter conflict between two men over the boundaries of their land. According to Hirasek, when she ruled in favor of the younger man, the older launched into a fit of rage, beginning a tirade against Labusha and women as a whole. Quote, what kind of justice can we expect from a woman, long-haired but short on brains? Let her sew and spin, but not be a ruler and judge. Where else does a woman rule over men except here? We are the laughingstock among nations, and we cannot stand for such a judge any longer. Better to die than bear such a reign." End quote. Labusha considered her response thoughtfully and quietly before rising and remarking, "'You are right. I am a woman and I rule like a woman, not with a rod of iron, but with compassion, which you take for weakness. You need a stricter ruler, and your demand shall be fulfilled. Go now in peace, 
let the people choose a duke to rule them, and I shall marry whomever they choose. Labusha spent the rest of the day in her secluded garden, worshipping Perun, a wooden idol, with a head of silver and a beard of gold. She called upon her sisters to join her, and their discussions continued throughout the night. The next morning, Labusha called for a gathering of the clan leaders, who had traveled from far and wide to hear who would be chosen as the duke. Trumpets announced Labusha's arrival, who was accompanied on either side by her sisters. Labusha made her speech. All of you know why I called you together. You did not appreciate the freedom I gave you, so the gods inspired me to tell you that I shall rule you no longer. You want a man, a duke who will take away your children to serve him, who will choose the best of your cattle and horses for taxes according to his whims. You want to serve a master and to pay for it, as so far you have not had to do. In return, you will not have to be ashamed of having a woman ruler. So be it. Go ahead and choose a duke, but do so wisely and carefully, because it is easy to put someone in power, but hard to get rid of him. However, if you wish, I can advise you as to whom to choose. The leaders, having no candidate to follow through with, enthusiastically accepted Labusha's aid. Labusha rose, her eyes grew dreamy as she entered a prophetic trance. In a faraway voice, she advised, Beyond the hills is a small stream called Belina. A hundred and twenty paces beyond, in a narrow valley, there is a field where you will find your future duke, a plowman. Go take along the clothing fit for a duke. Give the man my message and bring him back here to be your ruler and my husband. His name is Premisil, and our descendants will rule here forever. You will not have to ask the way. My white horse will lead you. Just follow him. You will be certain it is he when you see him eating off an iron table. Just as Labusha had prophesied, her white horse led the men straight to Shimasol. Upon their arrival, Shimasol stuck his staff into the ground and invited the men to join him for breakfast. The plowman turned over his iron plow and made it into a table, just as the queen had prophesied. As the stunned men sat and ate the bread Shimisol offered them, they noticed that his staff, that he had planted in the ground, had sprouted three green buds. The next time they looked, two of the three now leafy branches had shriveled and died. They asked their future king what this meant, and he answered, quote, Hear ye that many of my descendants will rule, but only one of them will remain a king and a ruler. Their next question was as to the meaning behind the iron table. I eat at an iron table, he replied, so that you may know that my lineage will rule with iron. Take iron seriously. Plow with iron in times of peace and in times of war, protect yourself with it. As long as the Czechs have such an iron table, they will always defeat their enemy. When foreigners one day take this table from them, Czechs will lose their freedom. Their third question, as the group made their way back to the castle, was to ask their future king why he was bringing his leather purse and best sandals when they had provided him with entirely new clothing. I give them to you to keep forever, so that my descendants may know where they came from, so that they may live in humility, 
without pridefully oppressing the people entrusted to them, for we all are equal, he answered. As she promised, Labusha married Shimisol, who began to rule and judge as Labusha had, but manlier. Some versions of the story believe he consulted Labusha in his rule, but no matter the circumstances, it remains that Labusha did not have the position that she once did. The couple had three children, as Shimisol's buds had predicted. The most renowned element of Labusha's story was still yet to come. As described in the book Prague in Black and Gold by Peter Demitz, sometime later, on a mild summer night, Labusha, her husband, and the elders were standing on a cliff above the Vltava River. While looking across the water to the wooded hills, Labusha entered a trance, raised her hands towards the other shore, and uttered her prophecy. I see a great city whose fame will touch the stars. This is her most famous line, but Cosmos of Prague, the original writer, actually ripped it off of Virgil's Aeneid. She guided her people to cross the river and to find a man there who was busy hewing the threshold, in Czech Prague, of a house, and asked him to build a castle, to be called Praha, right on the spot. Just as princes and army commanders bow their heads when they enter a house, Labusha proclaimed, so will they bow their heads to my city. It will be honored, noble, and respected by all the world. This prophesied city would, of course, become Prague, and it's with her vision of glory that Labusha's legend ends. But Labusha's legacy is the catalyst for one of the following stories in old Czech legends. Shimisol was the ruler Czech men wanted, but he was rejected by many of the land's women. Under Labusha's rule, men and women enjoyed equal rights and treatment. But just as Labusha had predicted, the duke ushered in an age of patriarchal rule. It's said that he stripped women of their rights and implemented practices associated with patriarchal societies, such as feudalism and serfdom. There was particular unrest among Labusha's former maidens, who felt abandoned and, quote, angry when the men held them up to ridicule and called them, quote, lost sheep, end quote. The legend tells that a maiden named Vlastsa, Labusha's favorite, was the one who first took up arms and gathered an army of tired, angry women across the land, beginning what became known as the Maiden's War against men. Vlasta strategically organized and trained the women who were leaving their husbands, brothers, and fathers to join their fight. The strongest women were chosen to lead the attack, and the most beautiful were chosen to entice the men away from their battle groups so that they could be killed. Shimisol's army openly mocked the female warriors, but the king warned them not to underestimate the women's strength. He was right to do so. The bloody battles began, and the women were winning. They fortified the castle Devine, utilizing it as a military base, and they warded off the men from even attempting a breach. Aiding Vlasta was another high-ranking lieutenant and clever tactician, a woman named Charka. In her boldest plot, Charka staged a mock betrayal and feigned helplessness as she was, quote, tied to a tree and left to die, end quote. 
She screamed and cursed the rebel forces to gain the attention and sympathy of a band of men patrolling the forest for women. This group of men on patrol included one of the men's best fighters, Citrad, who believed Charka's story and freed her from her restraints. The men set up camp for the night and, thanking them, Charka poured mead for all the men, which she had, of course, spiked with a potent sleeping powder. Once the men fell asleep, the rebel forces emerged from the tree line. They slaughtered them all except Sertrad, who was taken back to Devon and tortured to death. The men were so enraged that they abandoned the formalities of battle and began to attack all innocent women traveling on the roads. Vlasta, unable to bear the weight of the torment that the men were inflicting, ceded to their strategy and met the men in open combat. She was slain and the army disbanded soon after their leader fell. For their victory lap, the men burned Divin, or the Castle of Maidens, to the ground. In his telling, Hirasek would like to side with the women, but the narrative turns against them because he says they had, quote, no heart. Okay, whatever that means. It was as Labusha predicted. The men would get what they wanted, a patriarch, a master, at the expense of the freedom she had once ruled by. As is always the case, the casualties of patriarchy are the women whose voices are stripped away. Persistent as these legends are in Czech culture, there unfortunately is no real anthropological evidence supporting that they're anything more than, well, legends. Really, that applies to Labusha's entire existence, too. The more likely founder of the stronghold of Praha, was Duke Beaujavoy, whose rule began circa 870. He was the first documented Duke of Bohemia and progenitor of the Shimised dynasty. He was said to be the last son of the mythical Bohemian princes, and therefore a direct descendant of Labouche and Shimisol. This lineage can, of course, not be confirmed by historians, and an opposing theory believes that he was instead related to a Slavic dynasty. The writer of the first Bohemian Chronicle, published about 200 years after the Duke's death, believed that the distinction between myth and real history begins with Beaujavoy's rule. Beaujavoy was also notably Bohemia's first Christian ruler, and he built Bohemia's first church, dedicated to Saint Clemens. Despite revolts from traditional rivals, Beaujavoy continued on to build a second church, this one to worship the Virgin Mary. Later in his life, he decided to move his residence closer to the latter church, and the castle built was called Praha, or Prague Castle, which still stands today. The etymology of Praha is debated still today among historians, with some believing its origin comes from the idea of Napraz, or a barren place on which the sun beat down mercilessly. It could also reference, quote, the cleaning of the forest by fire, or brachiti. There are still some, however, who find Labusha's idea of the threshold, or pra, most compelling. The idea that she wanted people to lower their heads and enter a city as they would a home. As for the Maidens' War, there is even less of a connection to recorded history. Some historians argue that the story is based on tales of the Amazonian warriors, 
while others believe it could have roots in Bohemia's factual past. Speaking to Radio Prague International, Václav Ledvinka, the director of Prague's city archives, tells us, quote, There are some historians who have, in my opinion, a somewhat fertile imagination. They claim that there could have been a matriarchal society, that women had primacy and that they were overthrown by men. This could be true, but then the same could be said about the ancient Greeks. So it seems most likely that Cosmos took the basis for his tales from those ancient texts. And as we know, Cosmos did enjoy stealing from Roman epics. That's the story, or the legend, of Labusha of Bohemia, but keep listening after a brief sponsor break to hear a little bit about how the legend has been translated into modern culture. The weather is getting warmer, so it is time to say goodbye to your jackets and heavy sweaters. Hello to shorts and tees. If you are anything like me, you have this urge around this time of year to completely overhaul your wardrobe. But ideally, you want to do that without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. They have these amazing European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14-karat gold jewelry, and honestly, my new favorite pair of summer sunglasses I got from Quince. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com noble for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash noble to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince dot com slash noble. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Labusha's story has inspired the works of many Czech and European artists, and perhaps the most famous is her namesake opera, containing music by Czech composer Bedrick Smetana and written first in German by author Josef Wenzig. The opera was written in 1871 for the coronation of Franz Joseph as King of Bohemia, but Smetana ended up saving Labusha 
for the opening of the National Theater in Prague, which took place nine years later, on June 11, 1881. Act One of the opera depicts Labouche's ruling over the land dispute, but in a departure from the myth, Act Two decides to develop the backgrounds of the men in the conflict and deepen all of the characters. This involves a love triangle in which a classically conniving woman feigns interest in one of the men to make the other jealous. All is eventually resolved, and Act Three depicts a Midsummer Night's Dream-esque double wedding between all the lovers and Labusha and Shimisul before Labusha has her prophecy of Prague, a reminder to all of the hopeful witches out there that no matter how powerful you are, you may end up in only two-thirds of your own opera in favor of some random men in a land dispute. Noble Blood is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Noble Blood is hosted by me, Dana Schwartz. Additional writing and researching done by Hannah Johnston, Hannah Zwick, Mira Hayward, Courtney Sender, and Lori Goodman. The show is produced by Rima Ilkayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.